0: Chapter 1 of The Master of Mysteries. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matthew Buff. The Master of Mysteries by Frank Gillett Burgess. Chapter 1. Missing John Hudson. The master of mysteries bent over the onyx lectern for a moment to gaze at the monograph and then chuckled derisively. Oh, these German symbolists, he said half aloud, for unadulterated humor give me a and that has joined the ranks of the metaphysicians. It is hardly to be wondered that 90% of them have died in madhouses and that Max Nordau has scheduled the rest of them for suicide. He paused again to give a final glance at Ehrenfeld's little book on tone, color, and vowels. The letter A, he translated rapidly, suggests at once bright red and symbolizes youth or joy. The letter I is suggestive of sky blue and symbolizes intimacy or love, etc., etc. He stopped from sheer exasperation. Poor Arthur Rimbaud, poor old sodden Verlein, what crimes are committed in your cause? The door opened softly, and he turned to greet a beautiful blonde-haired girl who entered. Velska, if I were making up a list of tonal essences and vowel sounds, I should say the A was yellow, in disagreement with our friend here, Mr. Ehrenfeld. The U would be purple, verging on maroon. By the way, did you happen to notice that woman who was here this afternoon? He gazed abstractedly at the floor. It seemed to me, he went on after a few moments' thought, as if she possessed distinctly purple vibrations denoting unrest. Which one? was the quick reply. The one in black satin with jet ornaments, who wore gold bowed eyeglasses, and limped? Of course, but I should describe her as a woman who was worried and was jealous of her husband, very suspicious of him, and also abnormally anxious for money. I didn't talk to her, I was too busy. You must do a few poems someday just to see how you are getting along in your study of the science of human nature. You notice nothing else about her? Velska put the end of her pencil to her lips and considered it abstractedly for a few moments. Let me see, she began. She carried two books, didn't she? Precisely. One was of Baedeker's Northern Italy, and the other was a church report, Park Avenue, Presbyterian. But the point is that she's coming here again, possibly this evening or tomorrow. She was literally perishing with a desire to ask me something which she did not dare to do at the time. At this moment, there came a ring at the office doorbell. There she is now, went on the mystic. Did you notice that was a nervous ring? It came twice. She wasn't quite sure the first time whether she had pressed hard enough. Show her in, Valska. A few minutes intervened. Before his visitor appeared... Pausing undecidedly on the threshold, "'Could I see you for a short time about something of importance?' she questioned. "'Have a seat, madam.' Astro had risen and placed a chair apparently innocently enough where the full glare of the drop electric light would illuminate her. His eyes did not appear to survey his client, but under his long lashes they were busy noting detail after detail. She sat down and again hesitated to begin. "'I—' I suppose that what I am about to say, sir, will be kept in perfect confidence? Assuredly, madam, you are worried about your husband, I presume? She stared in surprise, looked curiously at him, and then said, Yes, in a faint, tremulous whisper. At once, she added, you told me things this afternoon which were so wonderfully true that I thought I might trust you to give me some help on a far more important affair than which has been worrying me for some time. The fact is, Mr. Hudson, my husband, has disappeared. I haven't seen him for over a week. At this, Astro manifested no surprise, and merely remarked, I was aware that he was away, madam, when I read your poem this afternoon. No doubt I can find him, if that is what you wish. But it may take some time, for I shall have to gaze into my crystals and go into a trance. It will also be necessary for me to go to your house, into his room, in fact, in order that I may first take his atmosphere. Oh, I understand, she exclaimed. To tell the truth, I am very, very much worried and anxious to have you go to work as soon as possible. I daren't go to the police, for, after all, there may be nothing serious of the matter, and it would cause a lot of talk. And I shouldn't want him ever to know that I employed a detective for anything like this. But of course, you are different. I am different, as you say, responded Astro, smiling. I shall be able to trace him, no doubt, without anyone ever suspecting me. Just, when did you see him for the last time? On Tuesday, the 10th. And now it is the 20th. He has had no business troubles? On the contrary. He was doing remarkably well in the real estate business. We've been saving up to go abroad, you see. It has been a plan we've had ever since we were married. It's a sort of delayed honeymoon, I suppose. We hope to live in Italy for a year, she sighed. You are a church member, I presume? Yes, I go to the Park Avenue Presbyterian Church. Mr. Hudson is a deacon there. I see. He is well off, you say? Oh, no, not that. But... We have been quite encouraged of late. Mr. Hudson was quite hopeful about our European trip. Very well, Mrs. Hudson. I shall be at your house at nine o'clock tomorrow. Valska entered the room again as soon as the visitor had left and looked at the palmist with a question in her eyes. Astro waved his hand carelessly. As I thought, he began turning to his narheil, lighting it and blowing the fumes through his nose luxuriously. John Hudson has disappeared. She asked several pointed questions about him this afternoon. Although she thought that she guarded herself well, there are both church members, and their ambition is to go abroad. He is in the real estate business. Can you put two and two together? Velska's pretty eyebrows creased themselves and thought, Let me see. Judging from her appearance, they can't have been making very much money in the real estate business. You say they wanted to go to Europe? Wanted to stay a year in Italy, wasn't it? And wanted all this badly. He'd naturally try to get the money in other ways, perhaps illegitimately. It might even lead him into crime. Being religious, he would naturally want to hide this from his wife. Perhaps he has been suspected and has escaped. She looked up at him anxiously. You're unproving, said the seer impassively. In fact, that's just what I've been thinking myself. What we must find out is what crime, if any, he has committed. Perhaps he is dead. Perhaps he has run away with another woman. We must consider every possibility. Now, I can't very well take you up to the Hudson house, as this is a delicate case. So, I wish you'd go over all the newspapers since the 10th and see what you can find that will help us. At 10 o'clock next day, Astro appeared in his psychic studio where appointments with his fashionable clients kept him till two in the afternoon. At that time, he called Velska into his favorite corner of the studio, where he did his lounging and studying. Well, he asked, what did you get out of the newspapers? I found so much that it's worse than if I found nothing at all. Several murders, an elopement, and a bank robbery. I don't see how any of them helped, though. The criminals all seem to be known. Perhaps Hudson was an accomplice? My dear girl, never go on general principles. General principles are the refuge of the hopelessly incompetent and inane. If you will follow general principles long enough, you will find yourself in a class that is unlimited in its generalities and hidebound in its principles. If there is no significant detail that devil tails into Hudson's disappearance, we'll simply have to go about it in another way. You will be better able to judge when I tell you what happened this forenoon before I came down to the studio here. Mrs. Hudson was ready for me with the news that she had found her husband's checkbook, and that it showed him to have an unexpected deposit in the bank of some $6,000. Then she showed me into the bedroom, but as they shared this apartment, I thought it unnecessary to look there for anything significant. Hudson's own den was a bare office-like sort of place, small and furnished with a leather couch, a bookcase, and an old office desk. In this, all the drawers were unlocked except one. I got Mrs. Hudson's permission to pick that lock, and here is what I found. He smiled. Of course, you understand these were absolutely necessary for me to get my vibrations. They both laughed at the remark, and he took from his pocket several articles, which he laid upon the table. There were, first... Two advertising pictures posed by a pretty woman, evidently the same model in each instance, though used in connection with different products. In one pose the girl had a loaf of bread in her hand, in the other she displayed her gleaming teeth whitened by dentabella, a new proprietary toothpaste. She was pretty and quite young. Next was a card, curiously covered, with an intricate series of interlaced curves and purple ink, a beautiful symmetrical pattern, as accurately drawn as the lathe engraving on a banknote. Last, there was a small printed page containing a calendar with all the months given. Oddly enough, the year was not printed at the top. Instead, above the calendar proper appeared the caption, Number 14. Valska looked at the collection curiously. Well, she said at last, I can't make much of anything except the girl's picture. It looks to me as if Hudson must have some special interest in her to have two pictures of the same woman. We might find out who she is. That's important, surely, unless, of course, we can get hold of a better clue. But do you know what this is? He held up the card. No, it looks to me like a fairy's lace handkerchief design or a seashell. This is a harmonic curve, said Astro. Sometimes it's called a vibration curve, and it is traced by a compound or twin ellipid pendulum. What's that? I am getting further away than ever. Suppose, continued Astro, you tie one end of a string to a nail in the ceiling, while the other end is looped up to another nail, also in the ceiling. Now, from the lower point of this V hangs a string with a weight on the end. You observe, the weight will be at the end of a Y. And if you give a rotary motion to the compound pendulum so formed, the weight will travel in an intricate but regular curve dependent on the relative lengths of the two parts of the pendulum as it swings forward and backwards and right and left at the same time. This curve was made by such a one, only more complicated, and arranged so as to trace a line on a plane surface. The curves so formed, curious to say, correspond actually to the musical vibrations of various chords. It's interesting, but rather intricate, and I don't see how it helps us much with Hudson, said Velska. How about this calendar? And what's the number 14 for? That, said the master of mysteries, is a page from a universal calendar. That is, a calendar that can be used for any year. This is the last page of the pamphlet, as it takes just 14 different diagrams to include all the calendar possibilities. Seven different diagrams in which the year begins on a different day of the week, and another set of seven for the leap years. There is a list in front, probably giving the number of the diagram to be used for each individual year. Oh, exclaimed the girl, that reminds me now. I did see something about a 200-year calendar. Where is it? Let me think. Yes, I have it. It was in an account of a body that was found drowned. Stupid of me to overlook that. I'll see if I can find it. Get it, Astro said, while I think this over. She flew to her file and began to go hurriedly through the sheets of paper. Here it is! Here it is! She cried. Then she read breathlessly. The body of an unknown man was found this morning floating in the East River near 38th Street. The corpse was that of a man of 55 or 60 years and had evidently been in the water some 10 days. The lower part of the face was completely covered by a full beard. The body was dressed in a black diagonal cutaway coat and striped trousers and was doubtless that of a gentleman in reduced circumstances. In the trousers pocket was found a bunch of keys a small sum of money, and a 200-year calendar. No marks indicating foul play were discovered on the body, which is awaiting identification at the morgue. That corresponds in a general way with a description of Hudson that his wife gave me, said Astro. She had no photograph of him taken within the last 20 years. There's a chance that it may be he, in which case it looks to me like murder. But I'll have to go down to the morgue and see. Anyway, on account of that calendar, I think you'd better let me do that alone, while you try to discover something about this Dentabella girl. Come back here as soon as you have located her. No one would have recognized in the smart, stylishly dressed man who emerged from the studio a half hour later, the languid, picturesque master of mysteries, Astro the Seer. He walked briskly along, his eyes eager and alert to every impression. At the morgue, he had no difficulty in obtaining permission to view the remains of the man he sought, and to inspect the clothing and the articles that had been found in the pocket. The body was that of a middle-aged man of benevolent appearance, the face showing weakness rather than resolution in its features. The hands were delicately shaped with pointed slender fingers. He had been apparently a dreamer, a mystic, rather than a man of vigorous life and practical affairs. Astro turned to inspect the articles displayed before his gaze. The 200-year calendar, which had been mentioned in the newspaper, corresponded exactly to the page found in Hudson's desk, and on opening it, he found that the page 29, containing table number 14, had been torn out. What was more remarkable, however, was the fact that with it was a collection of water-soaked, purple-stained cards. Each contained a harmonic curve, such as had been found in Hudson's drawer. One such coincidence was unusual. Two pointed conclusively to some connection between the two men, if indeed the corpse were not that of Hudson himself. This point, however, was soon settled. Calling up Mrs. Hudson, he found that her husband's hair was scant and brown. The hair of the dead man was strong, slightly curly, and reddish. It was not Hudson. Astro walked slowly home, plunge in thought, and looked neither to the right nor to left as he advanced. A block before he reached his studio, he stopped stock still for a moment, gazing in front of him, then, with a quick turn, he walked rapidly back, took a crosstown car, and got off at 2nd Avenue. Along this, he hurried till he came to a second-hand bookstore, where, on one of the stands outside the window, there was a collection of pamphlets and magazines. He ran his eye over the names, the Swastika, Universal Brotherhood, Vibrations, The New Wisdom, and Cosmos. He took up one of these and turned to the advertising pages in the rear. Then he tried another. It was not till he had read through the Swastika that he was satisfied and smiled. He paid for the copy, hailed a passing cab, and when driven to his studio where Valska was already waiting for him. He announced to her at once that the dead man was not Hudson and gave a brief description of the letter, whereupon she told Astro a story of her own search. I didn't find the girl, but I traced her antecedents. First, I went to the advertising manager of the Dentabella company and told him I wanted to get a hold of the model he used in the ad. Finally, I wheedled her name out of him. It was Angus Vivian, and went up to the Harlem address he gave me. The young lady, however, no longer lived there. But I got the woman of the house to talking and found out that our little friend had left without settling her bill. So I intimated that I was looking for Miss Vivian to pay her some money I'd borrowed, and in this way got the landlady to tell me everything she could that would help me to locate the missing girl. She had been posing for photographers, but now it seems as if she had got another job. At all events, a gentleman answering to Hudson's description had called on her several times, with the result that one day she had left and had never come back. She had sent for her trunk next day, but the landlady would not let it go and could not ascertain where it was to be taken. She had an idea, though, that the girl was working on East Thirty-ninth Street somewhere, for she had overheard her telephoning one day previous to her departure. So you see, Valska concluded, our friend Hudson has probably left his wife for good and all, or rather for evil, perhaps. We'll soon find out," said Astro. "We'll go up, call on him this afternoon." What? Have you found out where he is already? I'm inclined to think he's living, temporarily, at least, at 198 East 39th Street. With that girl? Velska eyes blazed. Not at all. The only trouble with him is that he loves his wife too much. Velska still stared. That isn't likely. There are very few men like that nowadays. But I'm very much relieved, for I'd rather like the Vivian girl's face. It's attractive. Yes, Astro assented, and Hudson is paying her to be attractive. He has a good business, head, this man, Hudson. But we must find out first what is the cause of the death of Professor Dove. Why, who is he? He is the man whose body is now lying in the morgue. How did you find that out? Look at this, said Astro. He pointed to an advertisement in the Swastika. Let me help you get into your own vibration. Develop your latent facilities... Inherent possibilities and develop your power, health, success, beauty, and love. Spend 50 cents with name and birth date for trial reading at Vibratory Curve, Professor Dove, 198, East 39th Street, New York. And that's what these curves are for then? Velska asked. Well, that's what Professor Dove used them for, to mystify his dupes, or, by the looks of him, it's more than likely that he believed in them himself. Hudson must have believed in them, too, then, she remarked. Or he wouldn't have been keeping them in his desk drawer. Was he a dupe, do you think? You'll recall that Hudson had several of them in his possession. If he had only one, I'd say he might have been a dupe. But what if he did have several, queried Velska? Do you think Hudson murdered the professor? Ah, my dear, that's what I'd like to know myself. I propose that we call at the vibratory office, or whatever they call it, You see, I doubt if Professor Dove ever had $6,000 or even 6,000 cents. He was not worth murdering for his money. One thing is certain, Hudson didn't murder Miss Vivian, and I am glad of that, for I'd really like to see here. Suppose we go up to Thirty-Ninth Street and find out what sort of place that is. As they walked across town, the master of mystery said, That's a very clever graft, that vibration curve business. The more I think of it, the more I like it. You see, as there are two adjustments, the length of the upper and the length of the lower pendulum, you can get an infinite number of vibrations and consecutively an infinite number of curves. Therefore, you can attach any significance you please to the ratio between the two. Suppose, for instance, you divide off the top arm that corresponds to the upper part of the y into inches, and call each inch a certain year. Then divide the lower arm in a similar way into days. Say these are eighths of an inch each. If you set your compound pendulum to the two marks any day and any year, you can produce a curve for any birthday you please, and you can always reproduce it to order. It's a very good plan to have some sort of scientific basis for this kind of thing, on account of the inquisitiveness of the post office authorities. If you simply have a set of form letters for answers the chances are that you'll have a fraud order against you and you will not get your mail with its desirable money orders and stamp enclosures and the calendar merely to tell easily that day of the week any birthday fell on for instance december 22nd 1883 was on a saturday and so on what i am most interested in is the life readings said the girl and the advice on how to acquire beauty or love Astro added with a smile. I'll try to do that myself. It's more exciting. From across the street, the two now reconnoitered number 198 below at the musty stairway appeared among other signs, the legend, Professor Dove, astrologer. It was already growing dark, and above, in a window, on the third floor, a dim light appeared. The shade was drawn. I'm going to investigate more closely, said Astro. You wait outside here and watch the window. If I raise the shade, come up. So saying, he crossed and ascended the stairs. As he reached the landing, however, he met a young woman coming down, who, at a glance, proved to be the Miss Vivian of the Dentabella advertisements. Astro stood still in front of her, barring the way. Would you please tell me where Professor Dove is, he inquired. Why, I... I don't know, I'm sure. She looked him up and down curiously. Then... "'Would you mind telling me where I can find Mr. John Hudson?' Still, she showed no sign of surprise, but drew herself up proudly. "'There's no such person in this building that I know of,' she asserted. "'I thought I had seen you in Professor Dove's office,' continued the crystal-gazer, suavely. Something in his manner now seemed to alarm her. "'Indeed, I'm a stranger here. You must be mistaken, really.' "'You have never heard of Mr. Hudson?' he went on. "'What right have you to question me in this way?' she demanded boldly, and yet, oddly enough, she did not try to pass him. I have the right for two reasons. First, because the post office is very curious as to the nature of concerns doing a mail-order business, and second, because the police would very much like to know something more concerning the death of Professor Dove. She scarcely stopped to hear the rest of the sentence before she turned and ran upstairs. Astro, though he bounded after her in a moment, was a moment too late for the door was slammed and locked in his face. The police! He heard her cry, and at once there was a commotion in the room. A window was thrown up hurriedly, then all became still. He waited in patience, listening intently. The first sound audible, however, came from the stairway beneath him. Assured that someone was coming up, he turned and saw Valska beckoning frantically. He tiptoed to her, and she whispered, He climbed out through the window into the the next house. Can we catch him there? We'll have to or lose the whole game, he cried. It was a bit premature, but perhaps it will be as well after all. Come along and look out for trouble. I'll have to bluff it out now, though I have no desire to impersonate a police officer. That's a dangerous game, but we must hurry in an instant more. They were downstairs and hidden in the entrance of the next building. They had not long to wait. A man bareheaded and excited, came running down and would have dashed by. Had not Astro's hand immediately clutched him. I beg your pardon, Mr. Hudson, said the Master of Mysteries, but I wish to ask you a few questions. Who are you? The man's voice was full of anxiety. A friend, said Astro. Velska put out her hand and took that of the frightened old man. Don't be alarmed, Mr. Hudson. Really, you are quite safe with us. He gazed at her in dull astonishment. "'What do you want, anyhow?' he exclaimed, peevishly, attempting to recover a bold front, though his face was haggard with terror. "'I've found all I really want,' Asher replied quietly. "'But at the same time, I'd rather like to have my curiosity gratified. "'What, for instance, do you know concerning the death of Professor Dove?' Hudson started and stared in the young man's face. "'What? Is he dead? When did he die?' "'He died at about the same time you disappeared from home.' Hudson turned white. "'Great God, you don't suspect me of anything.' Hmm? "'I'd like to have you explain a few things, that's all,' was the quiet response. "'Who are you?' The old man had pulled himself together now, and it was more defiant. "'My dear sir,' said the seer calmly, "'I am one who has been sent by your wife to discover your whereabouts. As I said, that mission is now accomplished. At the same time, you must admit that the circumstances in which I found you are suspicious.' You have just escaped from Professor Dubb's office, and Professor Dubb now lies unidentified in the morgue. You are in possession of a considerable sum of money recently acquired. You are, moreover, found in the company of a very pretty young woman. Surely all this will interest Mrs. Hudson, It remains for you to say how much of it I shall report. Hudson trembled violently and put his face in his hands. Oh my god, you mustn't tell her, you can't. I'm innocent of any crime, so help me God. Wait, come up to the office and I'll explain it all. Astro and Valska retraced their steps in company with the fugitive and soon found themselves before the office door. All was dark. Hudson gave three knocks, paused, and then delivered another. The door was opened silently. Miss Vivian stood before them in a dim light. At sight of the two strangers, she staggered back. Oh! She cried in alarm. Are you arrested, Mr. Hudson? I don't know, he answered childishly as he turned out the light. There was a litter of paper strewn upon the office floor. A long table was piled with letters opened and unopened. There was a typewriter on the stand, a copying press, a high desk with ledgers, and in a corner, suspended from hooks in the ceiling, the compound pendulum that Astro had described. On the horizontal shelf fixed to the end of the pendulum was a white card, and, extending from a table nearby, an arm carrying a glass pen, projected so that, when the pendulum was swung, a curve in purple ink was traced on the card. A heavy weight depended from the bottom of the instrument. Hudson sunk into a chair and groaned. The girl waited without a word, watching him. Then, Valskill approached him. Mr. Hudson, she said gently, pray. Don't take it all so hard. I'm sure that you are innocent, and we'll both help you. If you tell us everything, we can find some way of saving you. He raised his head and looked at Astro, who nodded in confirmation. Hudson took courage. The first thing, the most important thing, of course, is to explain about Professor Dove's death. I have no idea how it occurred. Indeed, I didn't know he was dead until you told me. I suspected that something fatal had happened, but I knew nothing definite. When did you last see him? Two weeks ago, but Miss Vivian had seen him since then. The girl took it up. It was here, in the office, that I saw him. He was intoxicated and he frightened me, so I went out and telephoned to Mr. Hudson about it. Then when I got back, the professor had gone. You will understand, hastily, explained Hudson. That Professor Dove, when in his right mind, was a most gentlemanly and kind-hearted man. But when he was drunk, there was no doing anything with him. I had had several unpleasant experiences with him before. He'd go out and wander all over town in a sort of daze talking aloud to himself about his psychic beliefs and all that. He was especially fond of the river, and once we found him sitting away out on a pier and gazing into the water. But I know absolutely nothing about his death, sir, I assure you. Now, about my being here, I'd like to explain. That is not necessary, interrupted Astro. I know everything I wish to know. What do you mean? What do you know about my private affairs? I'll tell you, Mr. Hudson. First, for a long time, you have been anxious to discover some way of making more money than you could in the real estate business. You and your wife wanted to go abroad, and you are very fond of her and naturally wish to please her. Thinking it over and watching the advertisements, you saw that the quickest way to make money was to go into some sort of fortune-telling business and play on the credulity of fools. Knowing of the compound pendulum and the curves it traces so mysteriously, you decided to adopt that as the basis of your graft. You found a willing helper in Professor Dove who was, well, just a little cracked and inclined to believe thoroughly in his own psychic powers. You backed him in this enterprise. Astro waved his hand round the room. But being a church member, you naturally couldn't afford to let anyone, your wife especially, know of your being engaged in a business that was so undignified and of such dubious morality. You advertised and did so well that you needed more help. You couldn't afford to be known in the matter, and so, when Miss Vivian here came to your office to get work, you selected her as an assistant. Not wishing to be seen too much in her company, you went to call on her, and finally induced her to help the professor. Then the professor went on one of his periodical debauches. She telephoned to you, and you came down here to straighten out the correspondence, which was becoming larger and more profitable each day. There was more work to it than you at first thought. You had to stay here that night. Then you became afraid of Dove's disappearance and of the post office inspectors. So you buckled down to a night and day job of it until you could clean up the money before you were caught. You are now about ready to quit the affair altogether. Is this correct? The old man who had been listening in great astonishment assented. But are you going to report all this to my wife, sir? He faltered. It will simply kill her. Can't you keep this from her? I promise to give up the business right now. Astro drew a telegraph blank from his pocket. There was a message already written on the yellow slip, and he handed it over to Hudson. It read, "Rochester, October 21st, 4 p.m. Why no letter? Did you receive mine? Returning Empire State Limited, tonight. John. Ring for a messenger boy and send this, continued the Master of Mysteries. She will not know that it isn't a genuine telegram. A woman in her state of mind won't notice anything, I'm sure. And I think if you turned up at the Grand Central, appearing to have come in on that train, she will be there to meet you with open arms. Tears appeared in the old man's eyes. I'll do it, he said. And tomorrow, I'll buy a couple of tickets for Nepal. God bless you, sir, for your kindness. And what's to become of me, spoke up Miss Vivian. Astro looked at her indulgently. You may go on with this work here for all I care, he said. It's a very tidy little business, apparently and none of my affair, but I advise you rather to apply for a position in Mr. Hudson's office. I don't think, however, that with your face and figure, you will have much trouble in getting employment. Oh, I'll see to that, said John Hudson. Well, Valska said with relief as she and Astro left the office. It's all over now. Not at all, remarked her companion brusquely. I haven't earned my fee yet. Come into this store with me a moment. He went to the telephone and called up Mrs. John Hudson. Mrs. Hudson, he said, I've been consulting my crystals and have just seen your husband in Roschester. He had just consummated a real estate deal there, which had been very profitable, and I think you will see him safe and sound again tonight. Kindly send my check to the studio. Thank you. Good night. My crystals are certainly wonderful, said Astro laughing. Yes, said Velska, and I think you're rather wonderful yourself. End of chapter one.